Well, welcome to you, our church family, and all of our out-of-town relatives that are with you at Crossroads for worship on this Christmas Eve. And welcome as well to our many, many guests from the community. It is truly an honor and a joy to have you with us this afternoon. Well, we're coming to the end of calendar year 2015, and we are not exactly where we're supposed to be according to the movie Back to the Future. Steven Spielberg produced a trilogy of these films. The original was the top grossing film of 1985, something like $210 million when it opened on July the 3rd. Now, in episode two in this trilogy, you may remember that Marty McFly and Doc load up in the DeLorean, which has been customized into a time machine, and they head into the future. And the date in time that they want to visit is October the 21st, 2015. That's this year. And when they arrive, everything has changed. And here's where the movie makers imagine how different things will be. So, when Marty and Doc land on October the 21st, 2015, there are flying cars everywhere. There are hoverboards. Remember the hoverboards? There are self-adjusting clothes. Well, obviously, we're not there yet, although I understand that we do have hoverboards now. They're selling at a rate of one every 10 seconds, but they're not the kind we see in the movie. They don't levitate in midair. They actually have to be charged overnight, and you stand on them, and, well, some of you know what it's about. It's kind of like a Segway without anything to hold on to. I'm just telling you people that are 40 years and older, make sure your health insurance is paid up before you get on one of those. Did you know that 25 years ago, futurists were predicting that the most popular Christmas gift in 2015 would be a trip to the moon? And we're not quite ready for that one either, although SpaceX did report just this past week that they sent a rocket into space and safely returned it to Earth for a soft landing. So we are making progress. And maybe those of you who've been around for a while imagine that by now there would be some other changes. Why didn't you think by 2015 we would have a cure for cancer? By 2015, we'd have peace in the Middle East. Certainly by 2015, racism would be history, and violent crime would be eliminated. Most of us who've been around for very long thought that by now, a lot of things would have changed that have not yet changed. But it turns out on this night, before Christmas 2015, things haven't changed all that much from 30 years ago. And we're still waiting for some things to change, aren't we? Well, on that night before the first Christmas, 20 centuries ago, God's people were waiting for things to change in their world. For generations, they had been waiting for the promised Messiah. Over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament are recorded promises that foretold that the Messiah was coming, the Savior of the world, people just like us who were waiting for a rescuer. They were waiting for a deliverer. But so much time had passed. When it finally happened, 
in Bethlehem that night long ago, no one seemed to notice except for a handful of shepherds who rejoiced to hear the angel announce in Luke 2, 10 to 12, don't be afraid. We might put in parenthesis, everything is about to change. I bring you good news of great joy. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. You will find a baby lying in a manger. And on this night in history, with this angelic announcement, with the birth of this baby, the most important change in the history of the world was experienced by all peoples on the earth from that day to this day. The birth of this baby, the birth of the God-man, Jesus Christ, answers the most important question anyone ever asks. What is God really like? Is He the God of the Muslim terrorists? Is His name Allah? Does He reward murderers who hijack airplanes and suicide bombers who kill innocent people? Is He the impersonal God of the deists? Did He just wind up the universe and walk away disinterested, uncaring, uninvolved? Is He the God of Hinduism manifesting Himself in several gods and goddesses that discriminates and devalues people? Is He the God of the New Agers? an impersonal life force found in everything, so we should worship trees, we should worship crystals, and even ourselves? No. No, Jesus came to this planet as a man to show us exactly what God is really like. He Himself said, I and my Father are one. He said, whoever has seen Me has seen the Father. Jesus revealed in his life on earth as a man, what God is really like. And he also revealed it in his most famous and well-known parable, the prodigal son, which really should be renamed the loving father because he is the key figure in this parable. And there are three very important truths about the God that we love and we worship and we serve that are revealed in this parable that you're all familiar with in Luke chapter 15, and here are the three truths. First of all, He is the God who regrets our rebellion. In this story, in Luke 15, a certain father had two sons, the younger of which came to him and said, Father, I can't wait for you to die. I want my inheritance now. And the father was wounded by such a harsh demand, but he granted it. It might have caused the father to have to liquidate some land or some livestock, but he came up with the money, and the son takes the money and walks out of his father's life, ungrateful, rebellious, disrespectful. And the father grieved over his son's ingratitude and poor choices and his self-destructive behavior. Clearly, the Father in the story is God. He is the loving Father who will allow us to live without Him if that is our choice, even though it grieves Him. 
So who is the prodigal here? Well, some say it is the person who has never been saved, and that could be, well could be, but it could just as well be and might rather be those of us who are already in relationship with Him. It is a son who has left the presence and the favor of his father. God loves us, you see, but He'll never force us to come into fellowship with Him. He'll never force us to remain in relationship with Him. If we're bound and determined to go it alone in life without Him, or if we prefer to walk out on Him, He won't stop us. He does not force obedience. He does not force love. He does not force loyalty to Him. He wants us to be free to love Him, and without this freedom, (laughs) love is just not possible. And God didn't stop Adam and Eve from eating the forbidden fruit, and God didn't stop King David from committing sexual sin with another man's wife. And the father in this story in Luke 15 didn't throw himself in front of his prodigal son to keep him from the hard lessons he would have to learn in a far country. Though he regrets our rebellion, he does not violate our freedom to choose him or to forsake him. What else does Jesus, the man, reveal about our Father? Well, the second thing He reveals is that He is a God who runs to us when we return. The wayward son, as you know, didn't do well on his own. He lived high on the hog at first, and then later he lived with the hogs. Jesus said he squandered his wealth in wild living. So with a pocket full of money, he ran straight to the casinos, he ran straight to the bars, to the strip joints, and before long, it was gone. And he found himself in the most demeaning place a good Jewish boy could be, tending pigs. But Jesus said, he came to himself there. He came to his senses. Kyle Eidelman calls this the aha moment, the moment that changes everything. He remembered that his father's farmhands got three meals a day. And he remembered how good a life he had known. So he swallowed something else besides the slop he was feeding the pigs. He swallowed his pride, and he determined to return to his father. And he prepared his speech, but he didn't get a chance to deliver it. As he approached the house, his father ran to him. His heart was broken when his son left. Every day he was gone, the father thought about his son, prayed for him, wondered what he was doing. Each day he would strain his eyes against the sunrises and the sunsets, hoping against hope to see his son return home. And then one day, his looking and longing were rewarded by the sight of a bent figure dragging up the lane toward the house, and when the father recognized his son, he jumped the fence and sprinted out to meet him. With compassion, he ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him repeatedly. The verb tense indicates in the Jewish culture, men wore long robes. In order to run to his son, he would have had to pick up his robes, highly undignified, Men of respect didn't run. That would have been embarrassing. This is a God of heaven. This is the God that Jesus the man revealed to us. We worship a God who regrets our rebellion, 
but He runs to meet us when we return to Him. And the final lesson is that He is a God who restores us when we repent. One of the hardest things for any of us to say are those three little words, I was wrong. After the PTL scandal back in the 80s, Jimmy Baker wrote about his experience of moral failure and financial fraud. He wanted this to be the title of his book, I Was Wrong. Publishers warned him not to make that the title. They warned him not to use these words, but he insisted. And this is what the prodigal was ready to say to his father when he returned home. I was wrong. But his father interrupted him. All he could get out was, I have sinned and I'm not worthy to be called your son. He got out that much. And in his sincere brokenness, his father extended grace. And the father refused to entertain the idea that his son would be a servant. Immediately he called for the best robe. A signet ring was restored to his finger. He probably hocked the one he had, but with the signet ring, he was restored to full sonship. And slaves might be barefoot, but his son would have sandals on his feet. And here's the bonus. The father commanded that the fatted calf be killed so they could have a barbecue. Everything the son was looking for, he found in his father's house and more. His father's love for him never changed, but the son came back a changed person. Friends, this is the good news of Christmas. This is the good news of great joy, which is for all people. This is the good news of the gospel. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the soul that sins shall die. But Jesus shows us the heart of God, and He reveals to us that we have a Father who regrets our rebellion, but who runs to us when we return to Him, a Father who restores us when we repent. In his book, The Capital of the World, Ernest Hemingway wrote of a father in Spain who had a son named Paco. Because of his son's rebellion, Paco and his father were estranged. The father was bitter and angry with his son and actually kicked him out of the home. And after years of separation, the father's anger softened. He began to look for his son Paco without results. And in desperation, he placed an ad in the Madrid newspaper, and the ad read, Paco, all is forgiven. Meet me at the newspaper office at 9 a.m. tomorrow. Love your father. Now, Paco is a fairly common name in Spain, and Hemingway wrote that when the father arrived the next morning, there were hundreds of young men, all named Paco waiting, hoping to receive the forgiveness of their father. Well, we wait no more. We celebrate on this Christmas Eve the forgiveness of our Heavenly Father for our sins because of what Jesus did 
on the cross of Calvary. And our servers will go and prepare the emblems of the Lord's Supper just now. And in these moments, we want to celebrate the kind of Heavenly Father that we have. But we would not know about Him. We would not know His heart if it were not for Jesus, the man. Jesus coming as a baby in Bethlehem's manger. Jesus as a man going to the cross of Calvary in our place to die for our sins, to purchase our pardon, to make it possible for us to have peace with God and the promise of everlasting life. In these moments as we take the bread, we are reminded of what it cost Jesus to reveal the heart of the Father. It cost Him a death on the cross, His body beaten. We remember that as we take the bread. And as we take the cup of juice, we remember His blood that was shed so that we might be justified, just as if we'd never sinned in the sight of God. We celebrate that as the emblems are passed. If you are a Christ follower, please take the bread, the juice, and have a time of meditation. And you take the bread and the juice in the Lord's Supper as you are prepared in heart. Let's pray together. Father, how we thank you for the fact that although 2,000 years have passed, the events that took place on that night of Jesus' birth are recorded for us and we relive them and celebrate them in this place 20 centuries removed. And Father, just as your people awaited the first coming of Jesus, we await the coming again of Jesus. And this time, Lord, do we know that he will not come as an infant, but as King of kings and Lord of lords, and every eye shall behold him. And so we thank you for his first coming. We anticipate his coming again. In his name we pray. Amen.